Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Amos, the book of Amos, and we'll be in chapter number four, the book of Amos, chapter number four. You know, a lot of people will tell you it's a big mistake to do a series through the minor prophets. Uh, they'll say to some people, I've heard people say there's really not that much application in, in uh, the minor prophets because... Uh, when these prophets were speaking, they were speaking to Israel, and so uh, it really doesn't apply to us here in the uh, 21st century. Um, and uh, uh, that you know, if you if you stay in the minor prophets too long, you're going to bore people to death, and you're probably going to lose them before the end. And and so just you know, maybe look, do a little series with a few verses here or there. But man, to stick in the minor prophets all the way through is is uh, really difficult. But I like the Minor Prophets, and I'm going to stay in the Minor Prophets, and, and because I believe that they have a lot to say to the people, to us, in the 21st century. A lot to say. A lot of what is said in the Minor Prophets is applicable to all nations. And a lot of what's said in the Minor Prophets is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we're certainly a lot closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ than the Israelites were uh, back here in, in their times when, when these prophets were speaking. And so I believe it's certainly pertinent uh, to the church to hear the message of the minor prophets. But the main reason, the main reason that I like the minor prophets is because they reveal a lot about God that we don't get elsewhere in Scripture. I mean, you want to find the mind of God and how he works, go to the minor prophets. You want to hear the heart of God, go to the minor prophets. Uh, you want to know about the will of God, then go to the minor prophets. And you'll, you'll learn a lot of things about God you won't find elsewhere in Scripture. You might find them if you dig hard enough, but, but it's pretty blatant in the minor prophets. I mean, you hear the anger of God in the minor prophets, you hear the sorrow of God in the minor prophets. You hear the joy of the Lord in the minor prophets. And you see just how he functions in his universe in the minor prophets. And so, so I think it's really important to study it. And, and uh, I got to tell you, there's some one-liners in the minor prophets that you just can't beat. I mean, there's some, stuff, there's some stuff that's said in the minor prophets you don't hear anywhere else in Scripture. I mean, like remember back when we were in Hosea. Uh, Hosea said, my, the Lord speaking, my people are joined to idols, leave them alone to themselves. I give them over to their idols. You don't hear that in many places in the scripture. What's he saying there? You know, there comes a point where, you know, if you want, you want to worship idols, God will let you worship idols. You don't want to be saved, God, God, God will say, I give you up. There comes that point. Where that point is, I mean, God wishes that none should perish, but God knows the point because he knows who's going to choose him and when they're going to choose him. So he doesn't give up on anybody that he knows will choose him. But that's kind of a shocking statement. Also in Hosea, he says, uh, there is no Savior besides me. Now, we could get into a real long theological discussion on that because I don't, the, say, that's the Lord speaking, Jehovah speaking, but who's our Savior? Jesus Christ. So it says a lot about the deity of Jesus Christ. And then he says, out of Egypt I called my son. We looked at that passage. And uh, then you get, to, you get to Joel and he speaks over and over again about the day of the Lord. Uh, this 
day of darkness and gloominess like none other. But then he prophesies about Pentecost. And he talks about before that day comes, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh and your daughters and, and your sons shall, your daughters shall prophesy and your old man shall see visions. We see that over in Acts chapter 2. So it's a quote, quote that's used from the book of uh, Joel. And then he gets ready. He tells us about the, the Armageddon. He says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And then you get to Amos and, and you right away, he kind of throws a, a dinger at you. He says, uh, if there is a disaster in the city, the Lord's speaking, did I not bring it? There's a lot of theology in that. A lot of theology that's not politically correct. Uh, uh, if there is a disaster in the city, did I not bring it? And today, he's going to make one of those, we're going to hear one of those one-liners. The Lord speaking. And again one, of the, again, one of the exciting things or the cool things about the minor prophecy is most of what's said here is the Lord speaking. It's not thus saith the Lord. It's the Lord speaking. He's voicing his feelings through, through and his will through, through these minor prophets. But he says, he makes this statement today, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your maker. Now, that's a statement we need to look at. That's a pretty important statement, pretty potent statement. But we'll, we'll hang on to that thought. And, and let's go now to chapter 4 and look down at verse number 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Now, he's speaking to the women of Israel. And he's not holding back. I don't think he had a very successful women's ministry at all. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria. You're, in, you're married to the rich people in Samaria. Samaria was the city where all the rich lived, where all the politicians lived, kind of like Washington, D.C. And he says, you bunch of cows, I want you to listen to me. Who, you who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine and let us drink. It's not so much the wine here that's the problem. What they're doing, they're watching their husbands get rich at the expense of the poor and the righteous. And what are they doing? Are they, are they trying to convict their, their husbands to repent? No, they're saying, hey, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Let's have fun. Let's party. We're getting rich off of these people. And so there's blood on their hands. Uh, now, why he uses the term Bashan there, the cows of Bashan? Because Bashan was the most fertile area in all of Israel, and that's where the fattest cows were. But he's really talking to the women of Samaria. And, uh, I mean, imagine, imagine some preacher getting up to the pulpit today and talking to the women of America and say, you, you pigs, <laughs> listen to me. You're not going to get very far with that. But uh, Amos is not mentioning any words right here. Verse number two, the Lord has sworn by his holiness... By his holiness. What's the holiness of the Lord? It means a lot of things. But it means he's totally separate from us. He's totally different from us in that he knows the future and he cannot lie. And so he sees the future. He knows what's going to happen in the future. And he's not going to lie about the future. So what he's saying right here is what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. Because I've seen it happen already. 
I'm omniscient. I'm holy. So he speaks. He's sworn. He doesn't swear in a courtroom. He doesn't have to swear on the Bible. I mean, he spoke the Bible. He swears by his holiness, by who he is, by his character, that he cannot lie. He says, behold, the day shall come upon you when he will, the Lord will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. That was, and that literally happened. You can go to the British Museum in London and you can actually see these panels from the palaces, these wall panels from the palaces of Sennacherib and Sargon. And you can actually see where when uh, Assyria came down and God judged them by the Assyrians, you can actually see these pictures of all these Israelites chained together with hooks, well hooks in their noses and in their lips and, and marching away off to captivity. And so, so that's ex- exactly the way God s- saw it because he sees the future is exactly the way he describes it. He says, when you're, the day's coming when you'll be taken away in fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. So you're all, you're, all your riches will be gone at that point. Then verse number three, you will go out through the broken walls. They're going to destroy your ivory towers. They're going to destroy your mansions. They're going to put holes in your mansions and you're going to be hiding in your mansions. And they're going to pull you out of holes in the walls through the broken walls. And then they're going to put hooks in your nose and they're going to, they're going to line you up one behind the other. Each one straight ahead of her, of the other woman. And you will be cast into Harmon, into exile, says the Lord. So that day's coming. Well, wait a minute, Lord. We're religious people. I mean, we're, we're a Christian nation. Or we're a Jewish nation. I mean, you're not going to allow this to happen to us. I mean, we're, we're, we, go to, we go to church every Saturday. I mean, we, we give tithes. We get offer, offerings. You're certainly you're not you're pleased with that, aren't you, Lord? Well, listen to verses 4 and 5. He says, come to Bethel, the place of worship, and transgress to Gilgal. Well, these were their, where their temples were. Multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifice every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Well, here's the problem with leaven. Proclaim and announce the free will offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. So Amos, Amos is being real sarcastic right here. He's saying, hey, come to the temple at uh, Bethel and come to the temple at Gilgal and uh, give your tithes, give your offerings, give your worship. But all you're doing, uh, listen to what he says, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, proclaim and announce free will offerings for this you love, you children uh, of Israel, says the Lord your God. And all you're doing is multiplying your transgressions. You're adding to your sins. Why? Because your religious activity, your thanksgiving is mixed with leaven. When they were to bring their offerings, what kind of bread were they to bring? Unleavened bread. Because leaven speaks of what in the Bible? It speaks of sin. And so they were coming to the temple or to church, to the synagogue with sin in their hearts, with sin in their lives. And so they were actually multiplying their transgressions. And why were they multiplying their transgressions? Because they were playing the hypocrite. You know, if you go out and you do evil things all week and then you come to church and, and, and you 
throw money in the box and you sing worship, I mean, praise songs and you, and you listen to the word, that just adds to your transgression in God's eyes because it's hypocrisy. And what does he hate more than anything else? He hates hypocrisy. So you, he's saying you're just adding to your sins. He says, uh, in the next verse, he says, well, let me, let me kind of set this up. The Lord's going to tell them now, look, I've tried everything to get you to repent, but you haven't repented. I've tried everything. I've done all sorts of things to get you to repent, but you're still continuing on in your sin. Listen to, listen to verse number six. He said, I gave you cleanness of teeth. He's not talking about some whitening toothpaste that he gave them here. Not at all. When he talks about cleanness of teeth, why are their teeth clean? Because they got nothing to eat. He says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in your places. He says, um, he says, and yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. And so God sent them famine at times. He sent them famines and yet they didn't return to the Lord. Look at the next one. Verse number seven. He said, also withheld rain from you when you were still three months to the harvest. I made it rain in one city and I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained on and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. And then he says, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Now that tells us a lot right there, just that last saying. You have not returned to me, says the Lord. That tells us something. What does it tell us? It tells us why the Lord was sending them these problems. Why was he sending them these problems? Because they haven't returned to him. So what was he trying to do? He was trying to get them to repent, just turn around and turn back to the Lord. And if they turned back to the Lord, all these other things would take care of, their, of themselves. And they would quit sinning and they would worship the Lord the way they're supposed to worship the Lord. And all their problems would go away. But he says, you haven't returned to me. Now, it's really interesting here. Again, remember what I told you in the introduction that, that you learn a lot about how God works by looking through these minor prophets and looking at all the prophets, looking at all the Bible and taking it all in its context. Let me ask you a question just from what he tells us right there. Who controls the weather? Who controls the weather? God. God controls the weather. Go with me over to Jeremiah. Actually, go back a few books to Jeremiah chapter 10. They look down. In verse number 13, and he says the same thing a couple other places, just another reference, I'll give you Psalm 135, but look at Jeremiah 10, verse 13. He says, when he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heaven, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings wind out of his treasures. Now, when we had those floods in Lafayette last year, who caused those floods? The Lord. The Lord did. That's not a popular thing to say. And you know, a lot of people say, no, that was Satan. But you, there's nowhere in the Bible where you see Satan have authority 
over the weather. God has authority over the weather. When a storm came up on the Galilee, who stopped it? Jesus said, be still. And remember what the disciples says? They were absolutely amazed that even the winds obeyed the Lord. Because he's the God of creation. It's his creation. I don't think the Lord says, well, today, you know, well, actually, I don't even know I can say that. I was fixing to say he says today it's going to rain here and today it's going to rain there. But that's exactly what he's saying in this passage. He's saying, I sent rain to one city and I didn't let it rain in another city. And then there were all these cities without rain. And so they came to the cities where there was rain and, and that put a burden on the cities where they got rain. And uh, so uh, nobody really had their thirst quenched. Everybody had a need for water in those days. And God gave them just enough water to keep them alive and keep their crops and their animals alive. But that's all he gave them. You see that all the time. I mean, you could, I mean, you could, you could see one farmer, it seems he gets all the rain he needs and another farmer is in a drought. I remember a few years back living, living up in Sunset and it rained every day in Lafayette. And there was like this little mini high pressure sitting over Sunset and we never got any rain. Now that's almost impossible in this area to not get any rain. I, don't know if you, I, remember, I remember telling David, I said, it's like we got this little mini high sitting over the city of Sunset. But God sends rain where he wants to send rain, and he withholds rain from cities where he wants to withhold it. But yet, he says, you did not return to me. In verse number 9, he says, I blasted you with blight and mildew. Man, that sounds a lot like Lafayette, doesn't it? I mean, I spent a half a day the other day pressure washing the mildew off the brick and siding on my home. And I had just done that a month or so before. But we get a lot of mildew, a lot of mold, a lot of blight in this area. You do all really all over the country. Uh, every, every area has some type of problem. But he says, when your gardens increased and you thought everything was going good and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, what did I do when you thought you were sitting pretty? I sent the locusts to, to devour them. And, and uh Great. I mean, all sorts of little bugs out there that God can send to devour the, our plants. That's why I don't like gardening in the United States of America. I mean, it is a tough business. There's lots of enemies out there that want to destroy whatever you, you uh, plant. I mean, I have a grapevine. In the first two years, I had that grapevine. I mean, I had muscadine grapes all over it. Well, the raccoons found out where it was, and now you, all you do when you go out there, you see the grapes, and about the time they, they wait for them to get ripe. As soon as they get ripe, they get every single one of them in one night. So uh, we have all sorts of things, and yet, again, he says, you didn't return to me. I sent among you, verse number 10, a plague after the manner of Egypt. I mean... We don't know which plague that was, which particular plague, because he doesn't name it. But it had to be a pretty catastrophic plague to remind them of the plagues in Egypt. I mean, it could have been the flies. It could have been the frogs. It could have been the boils. Whatever it was, God sent it upon his own people because they had become like the Egyptians. And yet you did not return to me. And then things got really bad. Things got really bad. You know, it's, it's like God sends these little foxes in to spoil the vine. But if that doesn't get our attention, then something really catastrophic can take place in our lives in order to get our attention. And listen to what he says. He says, your young men 
Young, your young man, I killed with a sword. Now, God didn't have a sword in his hand to go out and kill people in battle, but he allowed that battle to take place. He allowed that war to take place. Along with your captive horses, I made a stench of your camps. I made the stench of your camps come up to your nostrils. I mean, all the way up to your nostrils. In other words, there were so many bodies, they couldn't bury all of the bodies, and you started smelling death everywhere. And yet you have not returned to me. You know, as I said earlier, we got a lot of blight, we got a lot of mold, we got a lot of locusts, we got a lot of flies, we got moles. I can give you a list of things that we have. We got floods, we've got droughts. But I hope it never gets so bad in the United States of America that we start seeing bodies piled upon bodies. We had not seen that in this country. So we saw it in the Civil War. But can you imagine that, though? Imagine, can you imagine there being so many bodies that some type of attack comes upon the United States and there's so many bodies that you can't bury the animals, you can't bury the people, and the stench of their corpses rises up into your nostrils. Man, that should get your attention. I mean, it definitely should get your attention. He, but he got, he got, things got worse. He says, I overthrew some of you as, as, I, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? It was totally wiped out. And I all but wiped out some of your cities. You read about the Benjamites and what happened to them and how they were almost totally wiped out. It was almost like Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were doing things like Sodom and Gomorrah did. But almost wiped them all out. And, and yet I kept a few of you. And you would have thought that that would have caused you to repent. Because you were, you were like a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet you have not returned to me says the Lord. You made it by the skin of your teeth. You saw that I delivered you and you went back to your idols. You went back to your sin. And so you know what the Lord says at this point? I've tried everything. I've tried everything within my means to try to get you to repent. And there's nothing else for me to do but to withdraw my hand away from your nation. And leave you to yourselves. Well, the Israelites thought that was really good. Kind of like America today. There's a large group of people in America that just want God out of the picture. We want God out of the, totally out of the picture. We'd much rather have it our way. Do it things our way. And so God withdrew himself. He said, or basically he's saying there's coming a time. Well, I, actually, I think the time had come at this point where he withdrew himself. What happened? Well, as I told you in the introduction to the book, they were experiencing great prosperity at this time. They, were a, they had a mighty military at this time. And they thought everything was great while their souls were rotting. And the noose was tightening around their neck and God was about to destroy them, virtually destroy them, almost destroy them. All but a small remnant. You know, I look at this passage and I see parallels in the world today. I mean, it's kind of eerie to me 
that there hasn't been a hurricane in the Gulf for what since up to about a major hurricane since 2005 or six. No, Rita was probably the last major major hurricane we had. Gustav and a couple of ones that came up after that. But the last major hurricane's been, what's that, 12 years ago. 12 years ago. Now, that makes me apprehensive for two reasons. One, we're due for a major hurricane. Two, is something much bigger and worse than a hurricane is coming our way. Our nation, and I see some changes that are positive right now, and it gives you some glimmer, a glimmer of hope. But I still believe our nation is in the biggest moral mess it's ever been in in our history. And that kind of scares me the fact that it, we're in that big of a mess and yet we're prospering economically and that we, you know, the Dow hit 20,000 and, and uh, we still got a pretty strong military that carries a pretty big stick. And I think a lot of people feel safe and they feel they don't need God. And a lot of people are preaching the fact, a lot of churches that, hey, that economic prosperity is God's blessings on this nation because he's pleased with this nation. I kind of doubt that. I kind of doubt that God's pleased with this nation. So that tells me we need to be on our toes. I believe God prospers his children, and I believe, you know, sometimes he prospers a nation so he can prosper his children. That very well might be what's going on. But I kind of wonder, you know, since 9-11 and since the hurricanes have kind of stopped falling, why there's this big silence in America right now while we're just spinning out of control morally? And that tells me even though we have a new president and, you know, a, a, a conservative Congress and some things that maybe you might see or I might see as positive, still tells me... I, that maybe something on the horizon really bad is about to take place. A war that where we actually do get attacked in the United States. I didn't bring you here to cheer you up like this, you know. <laughs> but what it tells me is we all need to be ready for whatever comes our way. Hopefully, God is going to send more floods and and droughts and bugs. I don't think he's sending more bugs than he sent to Louisiana, but you're going to send more blight and mildew and all that kind of stuff. He's just going to keep working on us, hoping we'll repent. That's what I hope for. That's what we need to pray for. And if he doesn't, then we're, we're in deep trouble. So we need to be ready. Because listen to verse number 12. Therefore, since I've tried everything to get you to repent, and you haven't, thus I will do to you what I just described. The judgment is coming, O Israel. 
a worse judgment than you possibly can imagine. I mean, I, I, go get on the Wikipedia night and look at some of those pictures where they skinned the Israelites alive. The Assyrians skinned some of them alive. The ones they kept for slaves, they put whale hooks in their noses and in their lips, and they marched them off to captivity. Go, go look at some of that stuff. You can actually see it on these, on these panels. And it was worse than anything you could put on a panel. So this worst judgment is coming. Because I will do this, listen to what he says. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Man, I don't think there's a verse that makes me shiver more than that verse right there. Ponder that verse for a second. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And the reason that verse is so scary to me because Every single one of us one day are going to meet our maker. We're going to meet our God face to face. And if you're not in Jesus Christ and you don't know Jesus Christ, and I know all of y'all do, so I'm preaching to the choir. But if you're not in Jesus Christ, you're going to meet your maker at the great white throne judgment seat. And then he's going to make his case against you why you or how you rejected his son and you continued in sin, and I don't care how many good things you did or how many times you went to church, you're still in your sin and you're going to be sent to hell. That's going to be the sentence. Now, I don't expect to be at the great white throne judgment seat. If I'm there, I'm going to be really shocked. If I see you there, I'm going to be really shocked. And I don't think any of us are going to be there. But that statement still applies to us. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Prepare to meet your God. Because I don't care if you are born again. We still, every single one of us, are going to meet our maker, our creator, and we're going to have to give an account for the life that we lived on this earth. Now all your sins are washed by the blood and, I, and there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. But, but you're still going to have to give, we're still going to have to give an account to the Lord. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, what's wisdom? Wisdom is how we apply what we learn. And for us believers, it's what we learn in this word. Have we applied what we have learned in this word? Are we just cruising on like the rest of the world? No, God would say to all of us, prepare, prepare to meet your maker. Let me tell you what, 40 years from now, I'm looking around this room, there ain't going to be many of us left. I'll probably be the only one. No, there's not going to be, maybe Ashley will be left. You know, that'd be probably be it. Maybe Robin. Andrews, they'll be pushing it. But 40 years is not a long time. And can you imagine to be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. And we're going to face God. You know, I'm reminded when John on the island of Patmos faced God, faced Jesus, the one he had laid in his bosom, and he saw him in his glorified state. And what did John do when he saw Jesus in his glorified state? 
he fell on his face as dead. Here was a guy who wrote 1 John, wrote the Gospel of John, walked with Jesus three years. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He laid in his bosom. But I don't think he was prepared to meet his maker. Thank goodness for the grace of God. Because Jesus reached down, he touches him, and he says, fear not. Fear not. And he got him back up on his feet. But you know, there's no condemnation. But we do have to give an account for our life one day. We do. And I don't want to be saved as through the fire, as Paul speaks of. I want to hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant, while I'm laying flat on my face. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what I want to hear. And so all of us, I mean, goodness, I'll tell you, our nation needs to prepare to meet their maker. A lot of lost people need to prepare themselves because they're going to meet God, the God they don't believe in or choose not to believe in. There's no, they're without excuse, we're told in Romans. They choose, I'm just not going to believe in this God because I don't want this man to rule over me. But they're going to meet him one day. But we're going to meet him in glory. And it's going to be, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a great day. Don't get me wrong. But it still scares me. It scares me, the thought of standing before Almighty God. I need to prepare for that. We all need to prepare for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, no, we can't go to the Lord in prayer yet. You didn't let me finish. Last verse, because this is a great verse. Who are we going to meet when we get there? Who are we going to meet? Who is he? Why should we prepare? Because this is who Jesus is. This is who God is. Verse 13, for behold... He who forms the mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what his thoughts are. He knows your thoughts before you think your thoughts. There's two ways to look at that. You can say God declares to man what his thoughts are. You really don't get the capital in the, or the, whether it's capitalized or not, we don't get that in the Hebrew. So you don't, you can take that and interpret it two different ways. But I think he's speaking of the fact that God knows our thoughts before we even think our thoughts. He knows every thought we've ever had on earth. He knows every bad thought, evil thought you've had today and every good thought you've had today. He says, and makes the morning darkness who treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God of hosts is his name. Jehovah Elohim Sabaoth. The Lord God of hosts the Lord over the host of angels and over his host of saints. He's our Lord. And I don't think we should let a day go by that we don't ponder the thought that one day soon, 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 under the scope of eternity, it's very, very, very soon, we're going to meet our maker. We're going to meet the Lord. Good news? Good news. It's great news. But it's still scary. It causes us all to fear, and fear is the beginning of wisdom. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and for this great challenge that you give a disobedient people, Lord, but you also give it to an obedient people. Lord, help us all to just stop and think of the awesome 
experience that's going to be when we see you one day. Lord, help us to prepare for that now. Help us to be close to you now so, Lord, when we do see you, it's not such a shock. Help us to be in your will when you see, when we see you, Lord. Help us to, to not be living in sin when we see you. Lord, except by your grace, we all fall. And we just ask that you, you guard our lives, you guard our hearts, Lord, and that you fill us with your spirit so that that, that, that transition is not as frightful as it seems to be. Lord, we want to be doing your will and hear those words, well done, my good and faithful service servant. Lord, we just, again, just thank you for the grace we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.